Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today with us is a, is a good friend and a, a frequent guest, Former uh, did formerly did time in the Justice Department as a federal prosecutor, and uh, now you can see him as an analyst on television. And he also has his own podcast. And I'll let him plug that. Our, our good friend Michael Zeldin, welcome back to the show, Michael. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. Nice to be here. And your podcast is that said with Michael Zeldin. We released this week um, part two of my interview with Brian Stelter, and on Juneteenth. We're going to release my interview with Don Lemon. So oh. good stuff. Sounds like it'll be fun. And uh, I'll have to tune in. So, but let's get to the, I'm going to, we're going to cut to a break real quick. But uh, before we do, the question to ponder over the break is, uh, in speaking to Michael Cohen on this show a couple of weeks ago, he said that he believes that Donald Trump will be indicted before the end of the year. And I guess that's the question I'll ask you when we get back. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us is former, former federal prosecutor and uh, CNN, sometimes CNN analyst, and, uh, and has his own host of his own podcast, uh, Michael Zeldin. Uh, Michael, welcome back. And I guess at, when we went into the break, I asked you about uh, Michael Cohen, who said he believes that uh, Donald Trump will be indicted before the end of the year. What do you think as a, fed, as a former federal prosecutor? you think that's likely? Well, it's very hard to know because we haven't much transparency into the evidence. It would seem to me if, it, if this case is following the ordinary course, action should be taken sooner than later against the Trump Organization Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisselberg or, or and or Weisselberg's children, because they seem to be under the you know, hot glare of the just of, of the Manhattan DA's office right. for tax fraud, and um, it would seem to me that in the ordinary course, you either charge them or obtain a cooperation agreement with them, debrief them, and then make a determination whether they have credible evidence as to whether or not a crime was committed by either the Trump Organization as an institution or Donald Trump or anybody else in the organization as individuals. So if they, uh, they've been hot and heavy on, on his case, I mean, there've been several articles dropping last month about uh, Weisselberg. So you think the next move would be to flip him? Or, or indict him. And, um, or both. And charge him, <laughs> and charge him, yeah. I mean, he, he may not um, have anything to say about Donald Trump, or he may have, um, in Michael Cohen's view, 
um, everything to say about uh, Donald Trump, but we don't know yet. So I'm not really ready to predict whether or not an indictment is forthcoming against the president, the Trump organization. I just would think that the pace of which things are moving, Weisselberg seems to be uh, the, the next case up in the analysis part how of it. How case. long would you say it would be before we, if, if it followed norms, before we uh, found out whether or not he was going to be prosecuted? Well, a it's, a it's, a it's a complicated case. Um, and what we don't know, again, is are they targeting, who are they targeting? And, you know, I would think that somewhere after the summer, uh, we could see some ah. disposition in the in the Weisselberg case. So sometime this fall. That, that'd be my guess. But, you know, I also predicted that O.J. Simpson would be convicted of second degree murder. So you have to uh, <laughs> take my predictions with, with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, <laughs> Not that you weren't right, but that's <laughs> you just weren't you just weren't right. Uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you a little about is uh, um, the uh, subpoenaed legislators and Don McGahn. Uh, that came down this week. I talked to Eric Swalwell. He was um, he said, "Look, if they've got something, if a legitimate reason to investigate me, fine. But this is all partisan nonsense." Uh, your thoughts on how they did what they did and should they be held legally accountable for what they did. So what they did, which was to subpoena records of two legislators and Don McGahn and family members of each was part of a leak investigation. The Trump administration, as we know from early on, uh, felt that it was being undermined by people who were leaking confidential and classified information. And so they yeah, undertook- most of that was Don himself, though. That was that was, that was the president. <laughs> Donald Trump was the biggest leaker of the whole <laughs> administration. Really? Well, well if, if you- You can't hold him legally accountable for that, though. Right. If you expect introspection on the part of the former president, uh, I don't think that would be likely forthcoming. But the point is, <laughs> the president is free- to, to, to say what he wishes to say as the um, chief executive officer of the executive branch. Individuals in Congress or employees of the government that are in possession of classified information are not uh, free to, to release it. And there was stuff that was released, conversations, confidential communications. And so I think that the Justice Department was asked to investigate these leaks as is done routinely. What was unusual here was who were the individuals who received the subpoenas, two legislators and his own White House counsel. And that, that I haven't seen uh, before. That, those, that, those levels of people I haven't seen before. But it's not to say if that's who your Justice Department believes is uh, potential leak sources, that it's not illegitimate to, to, to you know, inquire and to be blunt, though, the two legislators were two Democrats, right? They were two Democrats, and they were yeah. two and, and critics. Well. But they were, but they were critics. There they you were, go. They were on the Intelligence Committee. They were fierce critics of the president. They were on television a lot. And you know, again, if you're if you want to look at it objectively, if you're the president of the United States and 
there's a lot of information that's being leaked that you don't want leaked. You then, you know, draw a circle around those people who you think have access to the information that was illegally disseminated and you pursue a leaks investigation. And that's what they did. They didn't notify anybody of the leaks investigation, which is, I think, traditional. You wouldn't notify someone that you're trying to determine whether they're leaking because it was an ongoing event. It's just that it's unusual to go after legislators and, of course, your own White House counsel. Normally, it's lower level people who are the target of these leaks styled now, investigations. Speaking of the White House counsel, Congress tried to get him for two years to testify. They finally did. Uh, is Does it matter that it's two years after the fact or can his testimony still bear fruit or will it have an impact? Well, I don't know that anyone is going to bring charges against former President Trump, but I understand from the transcript of what McGahn testified to is that the president asked him to lie and about his um, desire to fire Mueller and then create a false record of, of that request uh, to fire Mueller. That, that is pretty textbook obstruction of justice. Um, and those are not acts that are within the purview of the president. That is, the president of the United States theoretically could fire Comey with bad purpose, and a constitutional argument can be made that he has the right to do that um, because he's the chief executive officer and this guy is a subordinate employee of him. No such argument can be made for asking a witness, uh, 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 an employee of the government to lie and create a false record of that lie. That's not something that is you know, constitutionally protected, it seems to me. So in well, theory, Brian, the case could be brought. That. Right. Right. So a case could be brought? Yeah, in, in theory, a case could be brought. But, you know, the difference between theory and practice is, you know, profound. Um, well, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, there, there are a lot of people who criticize this entire process because they say, look, we're just uh, authorities protect authorities. And, uh, you know, they're never going to go after a former president. No one's ever going to get indicted. No one's ever going to get prosecuted. Uh, no one who was responsible for the insurrection is going to, you know, face accountable, you know, will be accountable for their actions. How do you convince the average American voter that they're not getting screwed in this process if we don't hold the people uh, responsible for doing these actions accountable for those actions, even if it is the chief executive of the United States? I mean, you know, there was a, another guy at Swalwell who said that uh, that he thought that if Biden really wanted to prove his independence, he would uh, encourage his DOJ to reject uh, the, uh, the Department of Justice to reject the idea that a president cannot be prosecuted while in office. So, I well, mean, he, he they they could do that, Brian. They have to first decide whether there's a prosecutable case in all in all cases. You evaluate sure. the, the evidence, the facts, the law, and you make a determination whether or not there's a prosecutable case. And if there is, then, and that prosecutable case, a strong prosecutable case is um, against a former president of the United States, then it's within the attorney general's prerogative to um, uh, authorize an indictment. He doesn't need the solicitor general's office to change its opinion. They, they give the opinion to the AG. The AG right. is free to make his own determinations about it. These are just advisory, you know, give me your, give me your thoughts, the AG says to the solicitor's office, give me your thoughts, or the Office of Legal Counsel, rather, not the solicitor's office, 
of his legal counsel. Give me your thoughts on something. They say, here's our thoughts. He says, well, thank you very much, but I disagree. You know, prosecutor, <laughs> go and go indict. That's perfectly, that's perfectly possible. Well, possible. That, do you, all right, it's possible. If there is a prosecutable case, do you think it would be probable that it would, that an indictment would be brought? Or is the, the fears of some Americans, do you, or do you, harbor those same sentiments or do you are you concerned that even if it is prosecutable that um, the Justice Department wouldn't prosecute it or do you have full confidence that it would I think if there was a prosecute a strong prosecute prosecutable case then the Justice Department would bring it I just don't know in this case whether they should bring it um, why would but- why shouldn't they well, maybe for the same reasons that, that Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon, that sometimes you have to just let it be and, and move forward and not spend all that time, you know, mired down in a trial and an appeal and then a second appeal and all the news coverage of it. It may be that you just don't, you know, choose to do that because it's not in the interests of you know, the, the United States to do that, just like Ford did. What about the opposing argument that if you don't do it, then that's groundwork. You're laying a groundwork. If they get away with it, they'll try to get away with more next time. That's the other, that's the counter argument. Then you just balance those two equities and decide what, what do you want to do? And I think, you know, when you asked me, would Merrick Garland authorize an indictment if the, if it was a proper case that was fully predicated and had, um, you know, the law and facts, I, I think he would. I just don't you know, know that. I just don't, I just don't know. You know him. You, there. you know him, right? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and I you think have, he would. All right. So when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about Merrick Garland in another case. And uh, so stick around. We'll be right back. Just ask the question. Facts you can hear. Hey, JATQ podcast listeners. As you know, now more than ever, the truth is hard to come by. Misinformation and bias seem to be almost everywhere. But don't let those fear mongers get you down. Just ask the questions and help support a vital pillar of democracy by subscribing to our brand new Patreon page. We are independent, fact-oriented, and never partisan. Help us keep bringing you the objective news you need at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. That's patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us tonight is former federal prosecutor uh, Michael Zeldin. And we were talking and in, going into the break, Michael, a little bit about um, your faith and you know Merrick Garland and you have faith if there was a prosecutable case um, against, I guess, the purveyors of, of uh, you know, the, those who were behind the January 6th insurrection and, and not the FBI, by the way, or and it's not a hoax. Those are the other two alternating theories. Oh, and, and it was Antifa. We hear a new version of what it was every week. But the other case that it has come to light is Merrick Garland's defense of Donald Trump in the uh, defamation suit by Gene Carroll. Yeah. Now, so let me let me just back up for one second. Okay. Before the break, you and I were talking about 
whether or not I felt that Merrick Garland, if the if the law and the facts um, were there, would he bring a case against former President Trump? So yeah. we were talking Trump specific. I'm sorry, yes, and that, and that's and that's a question about um, we don't know the answer because we don't know whether there's really a prosecutable case there. You know, there's a difference between really bad behavior and criminal behavior, really bad yeah. ethics yeah. and morals and and criminal law violations. That's what we were talking about there. In respect of the January sixth people, uh, the insurrectionists, rioters, the Justice Department is prosecuting um, those people. Hundred cases, yeah. Yeah, there there are a ton of cases that are that are um, have been have been brought. Yes. I misspoke. And, and, about and the Justice Department and the Justice Department has you know made it quite plain that they intend to to investigate this until they get as many of the people that they can. I think right right now we're at about 460 plus people that have been uh, in, indicted. Um, Do you think Garland would go after legislators, members of the Senate or Congress, if it was shown that they had were uh, involved in planning? Again, they had a prosecutable case. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And what was interesting, what's interesting um, when you look at the 400 plus cases that have been brought, um, you see that of them, about 17% are people who have ties to extremist groups. 14% have ties to military or law enforcement or have a military law enforcement history. 10% said they did it because Trump told them to do it. And <laughs> only about 8% of them so far have been charged with conspiracy. The vast majority have been charged with um, property offenses, staying, outstaying their welcome, breaching without um, a permit, all, all of those sorts of cases. So we really haven't gotten to the very serious charges right. just yet. But, but in answer to that question, will they go after that? I think there's no no doubt, and um, I think there's a lot more to come in in this case. Yeah, well, ten percent. I, you know, I remember talking to some of those ten percent. The president told me to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, not not even one percent of them were Antifa, were they? Nope, zero percent. Yeah, zero percent Antifa. It wasn't a hoax. There's plenty of charges, and uh, I, I don't think uh, the FBI, which was controlled by Trump at the time, his DOJ at the time, would have um, put together a false flag scenario, but that's just me. Yeah. Uh, but th the other case that we're talking about with Merrick Garland, going back to that, um, he has intervened to defend Trump in the uh, Gene Carroll's defamation suit. Do you, why did he do that, in your opinion? So this this is a, this is a tough question for me. I don't think I completely get what they're doing here. The, the way it works is that um, Ms. Carroll has um, sued Donald Trump in his individual capacity in New York State Court um, for defamation, defending, contending that he harmed her reputation um, with, you know, things he said about her. She said um, he raped her. And then he told, told everyone she's a liar. And then he got sued for def defamation. The Trump Justice Department stepped in and said that we're going to defend uh, this case because 
Trump is an employee of the government. And just like any employee of the government who gets sued in their official capacity, the government steps in under the Federal Tort Claims, Claims Act and defends them. So if you know, the proverbial example is a mailman who you know, injures somebody with his truck while on duty and they sue the mailman, the Justice Department steps in and defends the mailman, you know, defends on, in the place of the mailman. And if they lose, the government pays the plaintiff the money caused by the, you know, owed them because of the injury. Here, the district court judge, and that's what the, that's what Trump administration said. They said that Trump was an employee of the government acting within his official capacity. Therefore, when he they, someone. <laughs> they, 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 they said they, they are going to take over the case because it's like the mailman. The U.S. court, um, the U.S. district court judge, um, Lewis Kaplan, flat out rejected this in a 61 page ruling that's really worth reading. They said, Maybe the you. <laughs> uh-huh. they said the president is not an employee of, of the government. And um, even if he were an employee of the government, the alleged defamatory statements about uh, Ms. Carroll would not have been in the scope of his, his employment. Right. And, and, and so the judge said, we hear you, the Justice Department, your desire to intervene and say this is like the, a mailman who hits somebody with his truck. But when you look at the statute, in order for you to step in, the person has got to be an employee and in his official, acting in his official capacity. So if the mailman, if you will, were on his lunch break um, and on, or on some sort of frolic or detour and hit somebody, then he may be on his own. Right. Because that was not acts in his you know, official capacity um, uh, or within his scope of employment. He's not permitted to do things outside of the scope of his employment. Here, the Justice Department uh, has appealed that judge's ruling, denying them the right to um, intervene. And I guess the Justice Department's position is that for the sake of broader issues of protection of government employees, we feel we should intervene because there'll be future cases involving government employees, and we don't want to set a bad precedent. But as you said, this isn't a a government. I mean, this is the head of the government, right? I mean, well, that's right. And and, it's a little different. And then secondly, there are those who are saying, look, this is just a power grab. This is an attempt by the executive office to to get more power within the executive branch, within the office of the president. So now you can't come after him, even if it would there would be a precedent set. So even if someone were to come after a future president for something similar, it would be hands down, you're not gonna be able to do it because of a previous ruling. So- Maybe, I'm not sure that they're trying to empower the executive branch so much as they're trying to preserve the prerogatives of the government to defend its employees. But I, I, as I read the Judge Kaplan decision, it seemed to me um, that I agreed that Trump was not an employee. You can't be the president of the United States and called an employee of the government. He is right. the embodiment of the government. Right. And, and then second, how can defamatory, allegedly defamatory statements be within the scope of his employment? 
Right. It, it's okay in the, within the scope of your employment to defame other people. That does, what, whatever gave anybody that, that right. So that would expand the power of the presidency, right? Now I could, if they, if they codified that, they would go, look, I can defame anybody I want. I'm the president. You can't do a damn thing about it. Well, it's very interesting when you compare this to the speech and debate clause that protects legislators from defamatory statements made on the floor of Congress. Right. If you on the floor of the Congress make a statement which is defamatory, the speech and, defa- the speech and debate clause pretty much protects you. Proxmire versus Hutchinson, I think, is the is the case where William Proxmire gave this research scientist the Golden Fleece Award, which is what he used to do um, regularly. Yeah. When remember when when yeah. when he felt that individuals were fleecing the government, stealing yeah. from the government effectively, he gave him the Golden Fleece Award. And this guy Hutchison, who got the Golden Fleece Award because Proxmire said that for whatever amount of money he received for his research, the sum of his research was that monkeys clench their jaws when tense. And um, Proxmire really misinterpreted what um, the research scientist was saying, but he gave him this Golden Fleece Award and he, he sued, he was sued for it. But, and I think uh, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, um, he prevailed because it was uh, a speech and debate clause protected um, Are you act. suggesting that the president has such protection? No, I'm just saying there's the, the the argument is sort of analogous in in in, yeah. in 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 a way. But in a way, but you know, I guess the same way turkey is analogous to a you know chicken, but they're not the same. No, they're not, and that's why I said that as I read Kaplan's decision, I land on the side that Trump is not an employee, so he. Can, so the Justice Department cannot intervene in the case to, to take over the case from Trump. You see, the interesting thing, of course, is if they were to prevail, that me and and Ms. Carroll were to to win, the government pays the 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 damages, not yeah. Trump individually. Yeah. So he doesn't care. <laughs> He'll skate again. That's that's what yeah. grifters do. Grifters grift. So, uh, but before we wrap this up and take another short break. What, what's the next step in this case? Well, they, they've they've moved to intervene, and the, the appellate court will decide who's right. By when? Whether or not the Justice Department has the right to intervene and take the case over, or whether Judge Kaplan was correct that this um, does not fall within the protections of the Federal Tort Claims Act, and, and Trump's on his own to defend against Carroll. So when would we expect uh, that ruling? Well, I think the appeal was just taken... So, you know, months also. Yeah. All right. I mean, right. I don't know if they I don't know if there's been some expedited request. I haven't looked at the docket to see whether there's, you know, a request for expedition in the in in the case, but I can't imagine that the, that the uh, Justice Department would ask for it to be expedited. The other side maybe. But yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So, in the ordinary course months. Every every yeah. answer to your questions of when what do we expect? My <laughs> answer is is months. <laughs> Well, that beats years. <laughs> it, be, it beats and years, it beats and, 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 and and never, <laughs> and and and, and, it, and it's different than never, and it's different from um, Michael Cohen's uh, any moment now. Yeah, that's that's right. Well, stick around. We're gonna take a short break, and we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and our guest tonight, of course, is the ever-wonderful Michael. He he loves rock and roll music, Zeldin, but let's, we usually save the third, our third block to talk rock music and Dylan, but uh, I, I asked you something before we started tonight. I've been asking everyone this. Uh, the D, uh, DOD is going to come out with a uh, report soon on unidentified aerial phenomenon. Uh, which everybody also knows as UFOs. Um, and there's been, it's gotten legitimate news play for the first time in many years, although it's an issue that's stuck around. And I remember, I'll tell you briefly, there used to be a guy in the White House briefing room, I think his name was Josh, who would always ask these questions during briefings. And uh, John Roberts from Fox one time said he, I think he asked Joe Lockhart, he said, why do you keep calling on that guy? And he goes, because he makes the rest of you look like idiots. So it's not an issue that's always been taken seriously. And we tend to laugh at it nervously. But uh, with this, uh, I guess I've asked everyone, have you ever seen anything you can't explain? President Trump? You mean? <laughs> yeah, my mother in bib overalls is my answer. <laughs> I could never figure that one out. But <laughs> or, or did you mean in, in, in the, terrestrial, the sky. terrestrial skies? In the terrestrial skies. Um, not since my college days, no. <laughs> well, okay. Hey, now. That's, <laughs> I never have either. Do you believe in the existence of, of uh, intelligence outside of our solar system? You know, it seems as a matter of statistics, the odds should favor there being something out there. Yeah. Um, life of, of, of some, in some form. When you look at the, there was a, just a recent, there was a recent picture I, sto I saw from this, uh, the Hubble's telescope or whatever has yeah. replaced it or, or one of the rovers that's, you know. I think it's from Hubble. You're talking about the, uh, all the different galaxies. Yeah, and then you, and you see and shot. you saw the all the different galaxies, and you saw what Earth was in in that expanse, and we're you know it's a it's a grain of sand yeah. in the in the Sahara Desert, yeah. and and it's impossible almost to think that there's only one grain of sand in that Sahara Desert that sustains life as 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 we define it, you know. Whenever anybody asks me if there's a intelligent, if I think there's intelligent life elsewhere in the universe, I always say I'd like to find it here first. But yeah. because yeah. I oftentimes wonder if you may, I, I often wonder if we're not in a technological dark ages where science is not looked at um, seriously, and you know you have QAnon conspiracies. But I like you think it would be an awful waste of a lot of space if there wasn't something else in the universe besides us. So yeah. Yeah. Do you know I anybody mean, that's ever seen anything they can't explain? Again, not since college. Yeah. <laughs> my, my mother, my wife, and two of my sons say they've, I've never seen anything, even in college, under the, under the best of conditions or the worst, <laughs> depending on, you know, what day it was. But <laughs> so I, I'll close up with what I always like to do is talk a little bit about rock and roll. And there was a, um, Dylan wrote a song that 
of course, was recorded um, by someone else. And it was recorded by uh, Jimi Hendrix. And you know the song I'm talking about, I'm sure. Well, Along the Watchtower? Yeah. And there was a critic who said Dylan wrote it as a, as a conception and that Hendrix turned it into a reality. What are uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I really think that the cover of that song by Hendrix is the best cover of any, any Dylan song. Um, yeah, I think it may be the best cover of any uh, song ever. You know, as a cover song, uh, yeah, one of the best. You, you know, it if it's not the best, it's it's certainly up there. So, you know, he did give life to the song that was very different than the life that Bob Dylan um, originated it with. So, yeah, I like to think that it was it had a profound impact on on Dylan too, and that uh, Dylan liked just like the birds and mr tambourine man which is another really good cover of yeah but they only they only sing half the song so right. it doesn't really count <laughs> and they do and, and they don't sing it like dylan hey mr tambourine man. it's not nasally enough <laughs> well mcguinn but mcguinn has a great voice to cover yeah to cover to cover dylan but they only sang like two or three of the verses because then it was you know radio and you had like two minutes and thirty seconds and that song was way longer so you didn't get the the final part of the song whereas Hendrix um did the whole thing so I think it's I think it I think you have a good point I I think it I I like both but I do I think Hendrix version is just uh mind-blowing on a number of levels but all right so then the other rock and roll question I had for you it has been god well, my band's playing out for the first time in a while, July. Yeah, I saw I saw or, a picture of you guys outside. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, well, that was a private party, but we're playing it. That's Moray, I think, soon. So we're going to be playing out. What have, what do you miss about watching live music? What have you missed as as a, a you know a fan of, of music over the last year and a half during I, the pandemic? I missed watching live music, sort of period. <laughs> I, you know, I listen to music all the time, as you know, as you do. Yeah. Um, but there's no comparing, you know, the radio or anything that's canned um, to live music. And so I just flat out missed live music. And now in our neighborhood, every now and then sort of local musicians would, like you guys did, put your um, amplifiers on the front lawn and play. And if I was in the neighborhood, I'd sit down on the grass and and listen, uh, just because I like live music. Um, I think there's a song by, um, oh, there's a song called Live Music by um, Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks Band, which is, a, yeah. which, is, which, <laughs> which is a nice song. But the one thing I can tell you about the sort of the nearing of the end of the pandemic is that Wolf Trap um, is now opening up and- I look at the, you know, I sort of look at the calendar and I see Steely Dan and is going to be playing with um, Stevie Winwood, Stevie Winwood, and so I mean there are things to absolutely look forward to, um, and I hope to get out there soon. And I didn't know they were still alive. <laughs> yeah, they're still, they're, they're still alive. 
<laughs> Damn, and I like Stevie Winwood can still sing. Yeah, I mean, I, his, his voice is is still really good, and Steely Dan can still play. I mean, those guys are, are great musicians. So, so on that thought, I, the last question I ask you before we uh, take off tonight: Do you see? How do you see uh, Donald Trump's legal? Back to the first question: How do you see it? You know, playing out. Now, I know you were great at uh, handicapping other races, but and, and thought that OJ would be convicted. But but level headed, do you think that all of this activity will lead to nothing or do you think it will lead to something? I remain doubtful that there will be charges brought against former President Trump for things he did while in office, criminal things. I think the 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 defamation cases, and there are several of those, um, Summer and um, Ms. Carroll, there are some of Zervos, there are these cases that are pending. I think those are going to go forward. And um, I think some of those occurred while he was in office, as we just, just talked about. But I'm, I'm not, I'd be surprised if there were actions brought against him for inciting the January 6th riot or uh, obstructing, jul- um, obstruct- obstructing justice in the Mueller investigation, I'd be surprised. As to the um, Manhattan DA and the Trump organization case, that seems to be a little bit more likely to, to result in criminal charges than not. But we say that with really no transparency in, into the evidence, just what the, the newspapers are reporting from, from their sources, which is, you know, sort of always dangerous. We heard, and we even talked about it back in the day, imminently RICO charges are going to be against, you know, Trump. Right. Imminent, imminently Jared Kushner is going to be indicted for lying. Imminently, you know, and none of those things, unless I don't understand what the word imminently, none of those things have come to pass and, and they're not likely to come to pass. So you have to be very careful. You know, wishing doesn't make it so. If your politics are that you wish this would be the case, you have to be careful because law is not built on uh, wishing, making it so. And do you think that Donald Trump will, in fact, run for office again uh, in 2024? And could he run for office if he were indicted and or convicted? Could he still run? I, I don't I don't have a, a clue what Donald Trump is going to do in, in 2024. Uh, you know, if if. I could understand what makes Donald Trump be Donald Trump. I have, you know, invested in Tesla long ago. <laughs> I, you know, I don't have that. I don't have those powers. Um, I don't know. I don't I, think I, Donald I, Trump has those powers, but yeah. that's just me. And I, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know the answer to the question. Someone will call you up and give you the answer. Who's a smarter lawyer than me? I don't know the answer to the question of whether or not if you've been convicted of a crime, a felony, you are barred from running for, for office. I, I just don't know the answer to that. I'm sure there's an easy answer. I just don't know what it is. Well, that's okay. You don't have to know it all. <laughs> you, you already got rock and roll down. What more do you need, brother? <laughs> but I do appreciate you being here, and I appreciate uh, at all of it. And the name of the uh, podcast, your podcast, again, is? That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's on most of the podcast apps. And as I said, uh, this week's interview is with Brian Stelter, parts one and two. 
And on Saturday, it's the interview with Don Lemon in honor of Juneteenth. And what does Brian say? What's his? uh, Well, it's based on hoax, his book about Ah. um, Trump and um, Fox News and that relationship. It's a very interesting book. Uh, It's a good conversation. Listen to it. I will. I'll tune into that because that's a very incestuous relationship. And uh, we know between Fox and uh, our beloved ex-president. So and I look very much forward to your appearance on That Said with Michael I'll, Zeldin uh, in the fall, right? Is I'll, your I'll, book coming out in the fall, right? Free the Press. That's right. Free, free the, the press. press. Coming out this fall. And it's uh, about a 40-year uh, journey uh, uh, in the press corps. And, uh, of course, what's happened to the press because of big government and big business. So yeah. that I, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so I look yeah. forward to it very much. All righty. This and uh, thanks for being here this evening. It's just ask the question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we'll catch you next time.